Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson. During the season of Lent, Northside Church participates in a special Lenten practice and Lenten devotional book. This year we call it Kingdom Come. And for the season of Lent, the Dialogic Disciple podcast will draw from our recordings and our conversations between myself and our creative services director, Elizabeth Shaby, as we rebroadcast our Tuesday and Thursday conversations here as part of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. If you're interested in hearing these conversations as they're released on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you can sign up to receive the digital version of our Lenten devotional, Kingdom Come, at www.northsideumc.org backslash email. You can also pick up a hard copy of the book at the church anytime during the season of Lent. I hope you enjoy. Kingdom Come, a devotional for Lent and Easter, produced by Northside Church. Tuesday, March 15th. Let us pray. O God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on you, for in returning and rest we shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be our strength. I invite you now to join us in a dialogue of scripture and personal reflection. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11 through 11. Lord, I only have so much to give. This life requires so much of me, and now you require more? Attentive love, hospitality, service? I just want to rest and enjoy what I have earned. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Amos chapter 6, verse 1. But Lord, do I not deserve what I have rightfully earned? I work hard. Have I not earned the security and position I have? You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fatted calves. But am I not supposed to enjoy the fruit of my labor? Am I not allowed to rest? You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. No, I don't grieve. Lord, it is exhausting to think about everyone else all the time. I am sorry. I go from work to play and leave no time for you in between. You will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. Have mercy on me, Lord. Let your exile awaken me to what it is you require of me. Amen. So this, so this is set in the, you have the, we have the setting here during the reign of King Jorboam II. And Amos has gone up to Israel to proclaim the word of the Lord to the people who uh, have kind of fallen asleep a little bit, I guess, and have left behind those uh, who are in most need 
of assistance and help in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dialogue that you put together here kind of brings that into our modern day contemporary setting. How we maybe maybe not. Uh, this is how I heard it. You tell me if, you, if I'm if I'm right. It's not so much that we are lounging around and being lazy. Uh, or even just complacent, we are, seems to me that we are being overworked and we are being distracted and we are being exhausted by all the, the, all the demands of our life. And that is also another way of, another way that Amos speaks to us, I think, here in this passage. So what I, when I was reading this Amos text, what it pulled out of me was that if I am going to let this apply to me in my current context, it almost implies that I have to have some control over this exhaustion that I think we feel. So, because I think this exhaustion, right, that I'm talking about here, um, it is the exhaustion that leads to complacency. Just because you're out of energy to, to, so that that's an interesting thought though so you're saying that it the complacency that we end up having like the like the people of Amos's time yeah our complacency comes from uh just over over um over scheduling and overworking ourselves like we we become so wrapped up in what we're doing um, and we become so exhausted at the end of the day that, or, you know, we wake up exhausted and, and we don't have the energy to be anything more than complacent, right? It, like it takes energy and focus and, and it takes a great deal of, um, it takes a great deal of us to be energetic and to be passionate and to be, uh, oh, be alert and of sober mind. Alert. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was thinking, um, here, but like putting, putting this Peter, passage into conversation with Amos and then with our own lives there's I think it helps to kind of pull out what what are the resources that we need to not be like these folks in Amos what are the resources that we need not to be exhausted what do we need so that we will be uh we will have the energy and the strength that we need well it's right here in in first Peter right the response to be alert and sober mind so that you can pray right so so we begin Peter starts by saying look the first thing you need to do is just be alert enough to pray. Mm-hmm. After that, here are some things that you can do, but you have to start with prayer. And then he ends this passage by saying that anyone who serves should do so with the strength that God provides. In other words, it's not us. It's not as though God expects us to get up in the morning and just say, I'm going to serve God today and then make it, make it our willful passion to do so, right? It's not something that we can do. Uh, on a consistent basis there may be a day or two or maybe we can string together a week where we're really passionate and we're just willing ourselves to go out and serve God whether that's in the church or in the community or wherever it might be God knows that that's not sustainable that that's going to exhaust you that that's going to create in you this kind of maybe even end up creating in you this complacency that we're talking about yeah um and then you lose passion and then you get burnt out and then you uh, are pretty much useless to everybody right god is saying here uh through peter no it's not like that it's not it's not about you trying to will yourself to be a disciple god knows you can't do that 
what you need to do is start by praying. And then the strength and passion and drive, focus and vision that you need, God will provide that through Jesus Christ. Like that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. That's something that you can't do your own on your own. It's something that is given to you by God. And maybe it's given to you directly from God, or maybe it's given to you through a word from a friend or from a, a song that you hear, or maybe it's a sermon, or maybe it's a worship service, or maybe it's this, or maybe it's that. But it all starts with prayer and asking for those things, I bet. I bet. I think that's what Peter's trying to say here. What do you think? So what you're saying is instead of feeling like we have to make time for all of these God things that sound exhausting on top of all of our world things that we have, instead it's more about taking time to pray and ask God. And it's an outflowing from that intimate relationship that we have with God and it's you make space for that first yeah yeah absolutely and then when you I think when you do that and and you receive that gift of the spirit really everything you do becomes a God thing right so you're like empowered mm -hmm. to go out and do what you do for a living or go out and and live your life and and have your day and have meetings or go to work or maybe work in a garden or go out for a walk, whatever it is you do during the day. People do all kinds of stuff, right? <laughs> whatever it is you do, that becomes, when, when it's done, when it's begun with, with prayer, that becomes, that all, of, all those things have the potential to become a God thing. Uh, and God will open up avenues and windows uh, for, for service to happen through those things, right? So anytime we interact with a human being, another human being, we have the potential to either uh, witness to the gospel or witness to sin in our life. And that's, that's, mm. that's the thing, right? So every interaction with any human being, whether it's in person, on the phone, over Zoom. That makes sense. And this, I mean, this is reflecting back on how we started this day, um, this line at the very beginning. God, you will keep in perfect peace those who mi whose minds are fixed on you. For in returning and rest, we shall be saved, and quietness and trust shall be our strength. The fundamental misstep is not making time to pray and to be with God. The yeah. rest of it falls into place. The rest of it does. And when we try to do these things, whether it's, whether it's the, just the tasks and the things that we have to get done during the day, or whether it is an intentional kind of, well, I'm going to go out and serve in a very intentional and, and witness kind of way, it, all those things break us down and make us tired. Like even serving God is, you know, even doing the right thing, uh, you know. And in fact, even even doing things that are fun, I would I would make the argument that lounging around, like he talks about here, these folks who lie mm -hmm. on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches and dine on choice lambs and fatted calves, right? They have lamb chops and steaks and stuff like that. Even doing that eventually becomes exhausting i think everyone i think we've I, i've had that sensation you know when you're just kind of so complacent and so laid back that you actually get to a point where you don't enjoy the good things that well it's not life-giving it's not life-giving like you said the fundamental misstep is to begin any of those activities to begin any day without prayer maybe to end and, and probably to end the day with prayer as well. 
and probably throw in a few prayers throughout the day, right? God's always there. He's always on the other line. I am going to a Greek Orthodox service tonight after work for my worship class. (laughs) And as I was digging into the options that they had available and what, you know, that would look like for me to attend one of those services, it struck me how much they church. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of service. It's a lot of liturgy and it's offered every day of the week. That's pretty amazing. It is. And that is, it's that, you're thinking about that, you're like, wow, that's that's a lot. I mean, what would my life look like if I spent an hour at church every single night? Because your first thought is, wow, I don't have time to do that. And then, you know, the opposite, the flip of that, which is what we're talking about today, is what could your life, what would your life look like if you, like you just said, but yeah. you end it every day with prayer? Because, you know, we have a tendency to confine Jesus to an hour, 55 minutes on Sunday morning. That's right. You know, what doors could that open up? So is it is a shift in thinking. What doors could that open up by giving that time to God first, giving absolutely. the first fruits to God? That is interesting. You know, and we say we don't have time, but I, you know, I'm I have a pretty packed schedule with with working on the stuff that we're working on, and I always find a little time to watch Sports Center. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, so. Uh, and I have less of an excuse than most people because I, you know, I'm, I work here. I mean, I serve here and, and I'm here all the time. There's yeah. nothing preventing me from going down to prayer chapel anytime I want to. There is a level of this for me that when I read this stuff in Amos, if I, if I am going to direct it, if I'm going to let it apply to my life as it is now, I have got to admit a level of control. I have got to admit that I have some control in this you and take letting it take responsibility, yeah, yeah. right? And that, and that takes us back to the whole purpose of this season, which is a season of confession. So, you know, it's, you know, forgive me for, for not praying, for not putting you first, God. Forgive me for not beginning and ending my day with you. Forgive me for not giving you the first fruits of my energy and my time. Yeah, and it's, it's, for, it's forgive me for letting the expectations of this world overwhelm me because that is something that I am allowing to happen um, when I am not alert and of sober mind and I am finding myself in a place where I am not loving the people around me deeply or offering hospitality without grumbling, then there's something that I'm doing wrong. That's right. That's good. Um, That's a good word. And, you know, this is kind of where I think Christianity, maybe Peter and Paul, both of them, maybe, um, and, and maybe the other writers as well, the New Testament, they, they, uh, they adapt this this aspect of stoic philosophy which is that you can't control what happens in your life but you can control how you respond to it is basically the the gist of it and that's what he's talking about here uh, and why we have to be alert and sober minded and why we have to pray that helps us that prepares us to respond to the things that happen in our life and to our busy schedules with the hospitality and the love that we are called to show as the disciples of Jesus Christ. And that piece about praying, I think, is what I'm really centering on today. I think that's the good word to take away. Um, we do spend an hour in worship here on Sunday mornings. We, we pray the Lord's Prayer, and in that prayer, in the very middle of it is, give us this day our daily bread, and then we don't pray it for the rest of the week. And so that hmm. it's like weekly bread. We should probably just take out daily and say, give us weekly. our weekly bread, right? Um, and not to say that, um, 
that you have to pray the Lord's Prayer, but that that's what we're asking for. And it, you get the sense that Jesus kind of wanted us to pray that every day, you know, because we need bread every day. And that bread comes in the form of actual bread. That bread comes in the form of of fellowship and friendship within the church and, and encountering our life with the attitude that Christ himself had. And it starts with faithfulness. And it starts with what we're talking about this whole week. Exactly what we're talking about. This whole week starts with our faithfulness. It has to. And our and I think you're right also with confession that we have not been faithful. I'm gonna be doing a lot of confessing during that hour long liturgical Greek Orthodox service. Tonight. I hope that's a good service. Let us report back to us on how that went. I will let you know. It strikes me as it is going to be either a time where you can very easily check out and feel the grudgingness of it or the the roteness of it or it, it can be a very shaping space of being with god and letting it wash over you so i'm looking forward to it excellent all right well good talk today and uh we'll be back tomorrow kingdom come a devotional for lent and easter produced by northside church thursday march 17th let us pray Lord, you are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not forsake us, O Lord, our God. We invite you now to join us in a dialogue of scripture and personal reflection. Create in me a clean heart, O God. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Peter's words are encouraging. We have been given all we need to lead a godly life. Out of all the qualities mentioned, which do you think you need most to practice in your life? Without a clear vision or goal, practice can feel daunting. For every condemning prophecy, we are also given a picture of the kingdom come. Read and take a moment to imagine the following scene. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman, and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land that I have given them says the Lord your God. Amos chapter 9, verses 13 through 15. What role do you think prophecy played for the Israelites? What role does it play in your life? Peter continues on to offer his own reflection on the role of prophecy. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it, 
as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. So, the first thing that jumps out to me, Elizabeth, as we start our conversation this Thursday, is the juxtaposition between Amos chapter 9 and Amos chapter 6. Because we had in the situation on Tuesday where... The people of Israel were doing exactly what Amos says they're going to be doing, right? They're drinking their wine, they're living it up, and they have rest and relaxation in the land that God has given them. That's exactly what the people from Amos chapter 6 are doing, right? So I wonder, in your in your estimation, uh, what's the difference between those two? Complacency. Complacency, yeah. You know, one of the things that I think, one of the things... And maybe this highlights what is one of Israel's problems is, is that they're kind of like enjoying the victory before they've actually run the race. Mm. And there's a level of like all of the people of Israel will return to the land and the land will be restored. You know, Amos is talking about here like a post-exilic kind of situation where everyone's coming back and they're rebuilding the city and everybody's got a glass of wine and everybody's got, you know, food and everybody's got everything they need and everything they want. This is a vision that God has for the entire people of Israel, not just for those who, uh, you know, are well off or wealthy. It's for the orphan, the immigrant, the widow. It's for everybody in Israel. And I think what we see in chapter six are people who are kind of hoarding you know, if we got back to the abundance, you know, conversation that we talked about last week, they're they're hoarding all of the good things in life and leaving out a bunch of people. Whereas in chapter nine, we have a vision of everybody's coming to the table, taking the the gift of that prophecy and applying it to yourself before you've That's helped right. other people around you get That's there, exactly right. while other people around you have not gotten there. Yeah. And then, you know, that, that's, um, that's a powerful vision. That is, that's a important vision, I think. It is. And when we're, we're talking about complacency and apathy and exhaustion, there's nothing more refreshing to me than prophecy. This is, this is the role is you get this incredible imagery that calls you out of that drudgery and um, complacency. And it paints this gorgeous picture new wine dripping from the mountains and flowing from the hills is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And and it's, it's, it's that land of bounty. It's the land of abundance. And like you're saying, it it encompasses everyone. So what do you see then as the connection between the second Peter passage that you picked for this, which is, I think the daily reading for our our route 66. Yes, it is. And this Amos prophecy, what, what is the connective tissue there? So I I think there are, there are a couple different things that connect these two passages together, um, that I can kind of tease out here a little bit. Um, first of all, the second Peter passage, great passage, right? I love the rhythm of it and the way that it builds all the way up to love and begins with you know it begins with faith and ends with love and that's pretty good that's a pretty good development that's got going on there um but beyond that the 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 idea of being uh, effective and productive uh in the in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ in other words being faithful is what he's talking about being being part of this kingdom of faithfulness we're talking about um to go back to to go back to what we read on 
Tuesday, Amos chapter 6, as Amos is proclaiming this prophecy to the people of Israel and particularly to the kings of Israel and Jeroboam II, one of the things they're not doing is being, they're not being faithful. They're not being effective and productive in the knowledge of God. They are not uh, include, they are, they are, they are, they are ignoring the cries of those who are in need. And they're trying to, they're all, they're trying to skip to the end, you know, and, and, and enjoy this prophecy from Amos chapter nine without having done the work. Um, one of the things that Amos chapter nine, this vision of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of faithfulness is one of the things that we learn from here is that this is, this is what it looks like when everybody is faithful. This is what it looks like when people are faithful to God. When people move from faith to love in the way that Second Peter talks about here, the end result, the product, the effectiveness, all of that comes into focus right here in this vision of a, a world where wine drips from the mountains and flows from the hills, where people return home from exile and find a place in their own land. Um, but that's, that's something that requires first faithfulness. And I think it's what gives us energy for that faithfulness. We need vision. We need, we need that picture of what God can do in order to have the energy to get there. And I think this is what Peter's talking about, part of what Peter's talking about in both of these passages. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And then later in verse 19 is when he says, um, we have prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it. It's a light shining in a dark place. And we talked about that in, uh, on Tuesday. We talked about being exhausted, being uh, distracted, being overscheduled, being complacent, all these things that we fall into when we lose a vision, yeah. right? When we forget why we're doing this. And one of the things that Peter is implying here, I think, but doesn't quite say, but is also still true, is that every prophecy is also a promise. And there is a promise here that this vision will be made true. It will be made whole, complete. It will be made. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a glimpse of how the world was designed to work and the way that God wants, the direction that God wants it to move into, but it requires us to live into that kingdom of faithfulness that we're talking about this week. So the question that you put on here on page 38 is, what role does prophecy play in the practice of my faith? What? So as we were talking about this prophecy and promise and vision and all of these things that, that uh, are so important to us, if we're going to be faithful, what role does prophecy play in your faith, Elizabeth? It, it, I mean, it calls us out of complacency and drudgery. It's a call. It's, it's, it's the role of prophecy is vision and it's applicable and it's the thing we have to move towards. So it's the anecdote to sitting and lounging and just drinking wine and sitting on ivory couches, right? This is right. It's the an anecdote to this attitude that we see in our earlier Amos passage. So on Tuesday, you said you made it a big deal to talk about how we are responsible for our actions and responsible for making sure that we put ourselves in places where we are preparing ourselves with prayer uh, and we are move, we are opening and opening a space in our life for God. I think one of the things that we also need to remember, and I think that's right, I think one of the things that we also need to remember about prophecy is that when God gives us a vision like this, 
he expects us to participate in making that vision true, right? We are, in a very real sense, co-creators with God, not only here on earth, but also as part of the kingdom of God. Like, God wants partners to be part of this. Uh, God wants partners in the making and the building of the kingdom of God, and, and there's a certain level at which we uh, are responsible for, for doing that. So when we read a vision like this in Amos chapter 9 that's so beautiful, we also need to remember that that's a call to live into that, like make that happen, basically. You know, not by our own. Obviously, we can't do that. We, we do it through Jesus Christ, uh, but, but it is a call. Strikes me talking about partnership, just thinking about just in life, right? How good it feels to have someone do something with you, right? Like it's the difference between doing a thing alone versus having a friend, a partner, whatever it may be, you know, someone coming alongside you and engaging with you, accomplishing something with you, creating something with you, whatever it might be. Like the difference that that makes in life. Yeah. To share that experience. Yeah, and that's what God is asking us to do. And that's what God wants from the very beginning. That's what God's been trying to figure out. Like, how do I get in relationship with these guys, man? Like, and we keep doing our darndest to get away from them. Right, it can't, that can't happen. I mean, just like, you can't make dinner with your friend if your friend doesn't show up. You right. know, it, yeah. it, you know, God can't help us make this vision come true if we don't show up. There's a, there's a great parable that Jesus tells uh in one of the synoptic gospels where he he says um you know there was a guy who prepared a great festival a great feast and invited all of his friends and family and none of them showed up and so that's exactly like that's how god feels when yeah. we don't when we, when we don't partner with him in in creating the feast or eating the feast that right? god's not even asking us to do anything like other than eat the feast uh but anyway when we don't show up God, you know, in this story that Jesus tells, you know, he goes out and finds other people. Right? He's going to find some, somebody's going to eat that meal. Mm-hmm. Right? Somebody's going to have that, that. Somebody's going to live in these. Somebody's going to be living in these hills that are flowing with wine. Right. <laughs> if, it, if we don't want to be there, if that's yeah. not something that, that, that you know, we like, uh, that's fine. But somebody's going to be there. And uh, the, the days are coming. That vision, whoever, if this vision can just catch our imagination. And inspire us to work through the hard and the tiring and the exhausting because we've been given strength by the Holy Spirit. Um, I think we'll see our faith shift through goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and all the way down to love. And that is, that is what the kingdom of faithfulness looks like. That's what the kingdom of God, the kingdom come in Jesus Christ is all about. It builds on itself. It builds on itself. That's exactly right. It builds on itself. Um, and it rebuilds us. You know, as he says, he's talking about here in Amos chapter 9, they will rebuild ruined cities and live in them. Right? They will make gardens and eat their fruit, plant vineyards and drink their wine. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I oh, See, that's perfect. The sky is the morning sky, as my daughter tells me. And that's exactly what we have here um, in Amos and in Second Peter. Well, it was a great conversation today. Elizabeth, thank you for being a part of it. Thank you. And we will be back tomorrow. <laughs>